I think it's important for us to have a proper view of the church. Because to some of you, uh, church is a place. And when people ask you, where do you go to church? Um, you think of a physical location, and that's like the extent of what you think. Um, and you think of a weekly gathering, a weekly worship experience. Some churches call them worship services. And you think of a group of people coming together for uh, a religious experience. And so to you, that's the church. It's, it's the experience of the weekly Sunday. For some churches, it's Sunday night. For some churches, it's Wednesday night. Uh, for some churches, it's every night of the week. Uh, but whatever the church's approach is, that's what you associate church with. And so you find yourself with a view, with a perspective of the church that says, uh, my life exists here, and every so often, statistically, people who are committed to church show up half of the time, uh, probably at best. And so every other week you come to a physical place and that's your experience, that's your relationship with the church. And um, uh, that view, that experience that some of you may have with the church, uh, it's unhealthy. Uh, It's not fit. It's not proper. It's not trained. It's not God's best design for you, uh, for you to view the church that way. Uh, Because when you view the church as a physical location or a religious ritual, weekly, whatever it looks like, and that's all the involvement you have with the church, then you fail to see the potential that God's placed inside of you. Let me give you a little bit of history uh, with regards to the church. Uh, Jesus Christ came to this earth. He lived uh, a sinless life on the earth. And and you've probably heard the story growing up here in the Bible Belt of the South that Jesus died on a cross for our sins, for the sins of the world, and he was buried in a tomb. Um, And then three days later, he was raised from the dead. He was resurrected to life. Uh, He had a group of followers called his disciples. There were 12 of them. One of them betrayed him, and so they were down to 11. They elected one to take his place. His name was Matthias, and so they're back up to 12. um, And they were given instructions uh, to kind of wait for some things that God was going to send them. Uh, And Jesus appeared to this group of disciples. Uh, In John chapter number 20, verse 21, after he showed himself that he's been raised from the dead, and they were just like blown away, he made this statement to him, John chapter 20, verse 21. He says, as the Father sent me, so I am sending you. As the Father sent me, Jesus, to the earth, now I am sending you out into the world uh, with the same mission, with the same mandate, with the same responsibility. And so then we know that Jesus ascended and went to be with the Father. And this group of men uh, with uh, others of the faith joined together and a movement was birthed. In Acts chapter number 2. And the church was birthed. uh, And the church uh, for centuries now has been impacting this world. It's an unstoppable movement. It's not a simple location. It's God's way of uh, fulfilling his mission, his mandate to the earth. Uh, In his last statement before he ascended to go back to the Father. uh, He made this statement in Matthew chapter 28 verse 20. Where he says, go into all the world. And make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you to the ends of the age. And so the church exists to go in the mission of Christ, to go and make disciples, uh, to reach people with the good news of Jesus Christ and the hope that he brings for their life. Um, But because we live in America, I'm afraid, for many of us, church has become Uh, just a place to go. And so our relationship with the church isn't based out of the reality of 
of what the church really is. Because here's the truth, here's the truth. If you're a follower of Christ, um, if you claim to be a Christian, if you want to live your life in a way that pleases Christ, uh, then you are the church. You are part of this movement called Christianity uh, that doesn't just exist like to keep you from going to hell, but exists to show the love of Jesus to the entire world, to all the, to all the world. And so if you call yourself a Christian, you, you are the church. And, and so it's not just a place you come on Sunday mornings, but all throughout your week, every minute of every hour of every day of every week of every month of every year of your entire lifetime, you are the church. And so everywhere you go, you have this mission that God has entrusted you with as his church. And so when we simply uh, mold down church into a weekly gathering of people, then we remove ourselves from the potential of what God has called us to do and the significance that our lives mean. That we aren't just another number in a world full of billions of people, but we're the church. We are, we are uniquely and individually called to serve together uh, to make Jesus known in this world. And so um, if, you, if you have a view of the church as just a place that you can go or it's just a religious experience for people, um, then, then you need to know, first of all, that that's an improper view of the church and that it's not, it's not healthy, it's not fit. And so what I want for you is for you to be fit with the church. And so I want you to think today, what role does church play in your life? Is, is, is church for you uh, a simple experience that you go and and if you, if you get time, then you'll go, and, and it makes you feel good. Maybe it encourages you. Maybe it, it charges your batteries, some people like to say, so that they can go out and face their world. Um, do you view church as a place where you can go and get something and keep it to yourself that'll help you live your life better in a, in a dark, ugly world? Or do you view church as a reality of your existence is you're part of the church, and, and everywhere that you go, uh, you're, t- you're to spread the love, the love of Jesus. That, that's what being fit with church means. And so, so we're going to kind of ask ourselves the question today, you know, what role does church play in our lives, and what role do we play in the church? And, and to do that, I want to go to a story in the Old Testament. Uh, we around here have a group of volunteers that, that we call Team Synergy, and Team Synergy serves incredibly faithfully as a portable church. You have no idea the importance uh, of the volunteers and what they do here in this church to show up every week and set up to make it possible for us to, to have this worship experience each week. And, and so to honor this group of volunteers, we had an event back in November uh, called Team Synergy Soiree, where we just honored them and we had a meal together and, and I just shared a few thoughts and we laughed together and had some fun and, and just kind of reflected on what God's doing in our church and how he's using us. And I shared this story out of Joshua 6 then and I want to share it with us as a church and kind of pull from it some things that we need to understand if we're going to have a healthy fit view of the church and our relationship with the church and the role that the church plays in our lives. Um, so this is Joshua chapter number six. Let me give you a little bit of backstory before we jump in uh, to the story. Um, if, if you'll remember, uh, maybe you don't, maybe you're not, I don't want to assume that you uh, grew up around the church and you know this story, but uh, the nation of Israel was God's chosen people uh, and the nation of Israel was in bondage 
in Egypt, okay, before we're going to pick up the story. And God raised up a man named Moses, and he sent him to the Pharaoh, to the leader of Egypt, to tell him to let their people go. Um, and through a series of plagues and events, uh, eventually he led the children of Israel out of Egyptian slavery, and they crossed the Red Sea, and God's part of the Red Sea, and there were a lot of miracles that happened during that time. And so Moses was leading the children of Israel, but for 40 years, uh, they had been promised a land, a land uh, that came to be known as the promised land that they would inherit. So they were leaving Egyptian slavery, and they were going to a place that had been promised to them to be their new home, a land flowing with milk and honey, a land that was abundant, a land that was rich and full of blessings. And so they were going to be moving from bondage and slavery into a land of uh, fulfillment and blessings and abundance. Okay, and in between these two realities, they spent 40 years wandering in the wilderness, in the desert, uh, trying to find their way there. And because of different acts of disobedience and, and different fights that they were having among themselves, they, they just kept wandering and wandering and wandering. And ultimately, God led them to the place to where Moses got them uh, to a place where he could see the promised land. And because of some disobedience in his own life, God told him that he wasn't going to enter the promised land. So the very place that he was leading the children of Israel to, he didn't get to enter. Okay, And so the story ends in Moses' life. He goes up on a mountain. Uh, he passes away. And God raises up a young man named Joshua uh, to lead the nation of Israel now. And so Joshua is now going to lead the nation of Israel into the promised land, into Canaan, and they're going to possess this land as they go. And so you can imagine, just think with me, uh, if you will, if you, if you had lived in slavery and you had been set free only to wander for 40 years in the desert, the frustration of hearing, you know, one day we're going to experience something better. You know, one day we're going to be, live in a land that's awesome and, and it's going to be so fulfilling. We just have to stay focused on where we're going. We have to keep going in that direction. It's going to be awesome. Well, the problem is in that 40 years, a generation of people passed away. And so a generation grew up uh, that really didn't know slavery but didn't know um, the promised land that they were going to inherit. They only knew wandering in the wilderness. And so Joshua had this task of leading this group of people uh, into a place that God had promised them. And uh, we pick up the story uh, at a place called Jericho. Now, uh, Jericho was a city uh, that they were going to possess. Uh, it was the first city that they were going to possess. And you can imagine if, if this nation of Israel had an army, they had fighting men, they had men that were ready to uh, take the land, to, to take possession of what God had promised them. And you can imagine in their minds you know, what it's going to be like to have their own home again and to stop wandering aimlessly through the desert, but to have their own home again and how excited they would be to fight for that, how excited they would be to go and possess the land. And, and so we pick up the story in Joshua chapter number six, starting in verse number one. It says, now the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. No one went out and no one came in. Okay, so we see that this city, it's got a wall around it. It's got gates that are tightly shut. They don't let anyone in or out because they have heard that there's a group of uh, the nation of Israel that's, that's you know, mighty, that, that God has a blessing on their life. And so they've kind of fortified their city and they're going to not allow anything to happen. Verse 2, it says, Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands along with its king 
and its fighting men. Listen to this promise that God gives to, to Joshua, the leader of the nation of Israel. What he sees is a city that, that can't be taken, that can't be defeated. It's locked up, it's tight. No one goes in, no one comes out. But God tells him something. He gives him a promise. He says, I have given this city to you. I love like the, the tense of the words that he gives Joshua. He says, I have given, meaning it's already been done. But yet Joshua looks and he sees a city that's walled up and it's got gates and there's no way that they're going to take the city. And so he's been given a promise, but he hasn't received the promise. Uh, There's going to be something that has to happen for him to receive the promise that God's given him. So God says, I've given you the city of Jericho. You're going to inhabit, you're going to overtake this city, uh, but it's tightly shut. And then he gives him instructions. This is how you're going to do it. Verse 3, it says, March around the city once with all the armed men and do this for six days and have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark and on the seventh day march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. And when you hear them sound a long blast of trumpets, have the whole army give a loud shout and then the wall of the city will collapse and the army will go up, everyone Straight in. So these are the instructions that God gives Joshua. Now this is, uh, if I'm being honest with you, the most intimidating part of my job. It's for me to hear instructions from God, to lead a group of people, to inherit a promise that he's given us as a church that we haven't received yet. And to be faithful with hearing from God and then communicating to you the instructions that God's given us, it's, it's a difficult task. And so Joshua is now tasked with passing on these instructions. And notice the instructions that you're to gather your priest and your armed guards and you're to march around the city once a day for six days. Okay, now just to give you some context of the story here, it would have taken about an hour to march around this city. Okay, so we're not talking about Atlanta. We're not talking about a huge city that's going to take days to march around. We're talking about about an hour out of the day that they're going to march around the city. And the instructions were uh, that they're to march around the city in a certain order and they're not to make a lot of noise. They're to do it once a day for six days. And then on the seventh day, they're to do it seven times. And after the seventh time, they're all to shout after the trumpets blow. And then as they shout, the walls are just going to crumble. Okay, now, um, imagine with me, okay, imagine with me, you're the nation of Israel, I'm Joshua, and I'm gathering everybody up, and I'm saying, hey guys, listen, this is, this is it, this is what's going to happen, we've been waiting on this for 40 years, okay, God's promised us a land, and we're going to take possession of the land, the time is now, like, we've talked about it, and you've heard your, your parents and your grandparents talk about this promise, um, it's going to happen, like, we're about to go take this land, and you can just imagine, like, how energized you would be, like, finally, we're going to do something, you know, and you're like, so what are we going to do, like, you know, is it going to be, are we going to burn the city down, are we going to torch it, like, are we going to go in with swords and, and spears and, and bows and arrows, and we're just going to take them out, you know, is it going to be hand-to-hand combat, or are we going to try to be sneaky and going at night, what's it, what's it look like, and then, and then, and then Joshua, I say to you, I say, well, here's what we're going to do, we're, we're going to we're going to walk around the city um, once a day for six days. Um, you're like, walk around the city? <laughs> what, is, what does that accomplish? We're going to walk around the city once a day for six days, and on the seventh day, we're going to walk around it seven times, and then we're all going to scream, and the walls are just going to fall down. <laughs> you're like, 
Oh, man, where's Moses when I need him now? This guy has lost his mind. We're going to walk around the city once a day for six days. And on the seventh day, we're going to walk around the city seven times. Then we're just going to shout, and the walls are just going to fall down. Um, and so you can imagine kind of like, you know, I'm not, I'm not so sure about this, Joshua, but he's, he's getting his people together, and he's getting things organized, and they're, they're going to do this. And so uh, notice what happens, uh, verse number six, Joshua, son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, take the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord and have seven priests carry the trumpets in front of it. And he ordered the army advance, march around the city with an armed guard going ahead of the Ark of the Lord. And when Joshua had spoken to the people, the seven priests carrying the seven trumpets went before the Lord, went forward blowing their trumpets and the Ark of the Lord's com- covenant followed them. And the armed guard marched ahead of the priest who blew trumpets and the rear guard followed the ark. And all this time, the trumpets were sounding. This is important for you to to hear. All this time, trumpets were sounding. Because you remember the instructions that Joshua just received from God, that they're to remain quiet until the seventh day. And on the seventh day, after they've marched seven times, they're to blow the trumpet horns and everybody shouts and the walls come down. But until then, they're to remain quiet. And so these priests who are carrying these trumpets have gotten word from Joshua that they're going to do this and you can just imagine the excitement like well walking isn't enough like we got to do something like we'll just go ahead and blow our trumpets and, and maybe we'll start seeing cracks in the wall or we'll, we'll start seeing something happen and so they begin to like blow trumpet there's lots of noise they're not quiet there there's lots of lots of talking lots of chatter and so so Joshua uh, has to call them back together in, in verse number 10 It says, but Joshua had commanded the army, do not give a war cry, do not raise your voices, do not say a word until that day I tell you to shout and then shout. And I love like, I think if Joshua were like in today's culture, um, he would have stated that a little differently. Like he probably would have said, hey guys, like I appreciate what you're doing. I know that you're trying to make this happen, but I need you just to be quiet. Like I need you to, I need you to just, just shut up and, and just walk. Like, this is our instructions. We don't have to blow trumpets. We don't have to shout. We're just going to walk. And so I need you just to be quiet. Like, stop, stop, stop the noise. Stop, stop the talking. Stop the trumpets. Stop all that and just walk once a day. Well, it just doesn't seem very productive, does it, when you're looking in on the story. If it takes about an hour to walk around the city, there's 23 hours in a day that they're back at camp just hanging out. And then the next day, they're going to wake up, and they're going to go spend an hour walking around. They're going to go back to camp. And the whole time they're walking around this wall, they don't see any progress. They don't see anything happening. There's nothing that happens as they're walking around this wall that would even cause them to think that this promise is going to come true for them. Walk once a day for six days. Seventh day, walk seven times. Blow the trumpet, shout, walls come down, and you take the city. Like, I'm thinking on day two... Like, I'm going back to camp, and my wife's like, so what happened today? You know, how did, how did, how did, how did things go? Like, what did you do? Like, you know, was this the day that you, like, you threw the fire over and shot the arrows, and did, did people come out at you, and, like, you took some out? Like, what happened today? And you're like, we, just, we walked around the city. And, and, and what else happened? Well, we're back. I, I guess Joshua thinks that that's all we can handle right now. And so we're back. We spent an hour walking around and we're back. And just the frustration with walking and doing, I mean, just think about this, like walking around the city, but nothing's happening. 
But the reason you're walking around the city is because God tells you if you walk around the city, then he's going to give you the city and the walls are going to fall down. But as you're walking around the city, you don't see anything happening. And so you get yourself in a position of feeling as though what you're doing is meaningless and your effort is in vain. And everything that you're setting out to do is for nothing. It's as if you're obeying instructions that have no power. It's as if you're doing something that doesn't seem like it would result in anything at all. And can I just be honest with you as a pastor, as someone who has a heart to lead a church that's healthy, that's fit, uh, that wants to be who God wants us to be and do what God wants us to do. um, I'll just be honest with you enough to, to say sometimes I feel like we walk in circles around walls and we don't see a lot happening. Okay, let me give, let me give you a little, a little of my history. When I was 18 years old, when I was 18 years old, I was, I was at an retreat probably similar to the mix. I was a college student, a freshman in college, and I was chaperoning a group of teenagers. And um, in the main session, the first night, uh, there was a preacher, a guy named Craig Harvey. He was up there preaching, and uh, he, was, he was a white guy that, that, I'll say he preached like a black guy. He, like, he like yelled, and he jumped up and down. And he was like, in your face. And, and everybody was like, this guy's crazy. But for me, um, sitting back about three-quarters back there in the middle in between all my students, that night, I don't remember anything that he said. Because as he started to preach, I kind of like went into a different world. I can't really explain what what happened. Maybe it was like a vision, uh, but whatever it was in my mind, um, I just saw myself in front of a large group of people preaching, preaching the gospel. Now, I knew in that moment that God was calling me to be a preacher. I knew that he was calling me to leave a college pursuing an engineering degree uh, with all kinds of dreams and ambitions uh, of my own and leave them uh, to pursue full-time ministry, that I would be a preacher, that I would uh, stand up in front of people and proclaim you know, God's word to people. And so that's all I could see. And I, I cried like a baby and I kept like arguing with God and saying, you're not telling me to do that. That's for someone else because I'm going to be the guy that's going to go make money and be famous. And you can find someone else that wants to live that life. But um, I just wrestled that night with that reality. Um, and I can just tell you that, that I, I will never forget that night. Um, and I will also tell you that I have never stood in front of nearly, nearly as many people as in my mind that night I was standing in front of preaching. And so I transferred to a Christian college. Uh, I graduated, started as a student pastor. Uh, after I had wrestled with God, he finally convinced me that I was to do what he told me to do or I would never be content or happy in life. And so I became a student pastor. I worked with teenagers for eight years. And then God spoke to our hearts and told my wife and I that we were to plant this church. Okay, and so in my mind, get this. I remember a time when I was 18 years old and there was like, Tons of people, and I was up preaching, and so now God's calling me to start a church, and this is when it's going to happen. And we're just going to start this church, and the masses are going to come, right? They're going to hear the name Bronson Crawford, and they're just all going to show up. They're going to come from everywhere, right? Because God told me to start a church, and it's just going to work. It's just going to happen. 
and things are just going to take off and everything's going to be easy and, and the problems that we're going to face are like, what are we going to do with all the people? We don't have enough chairs and we've got to build a building and it's not big enough for everybody and man, we just need to go and buy our own city and we'll just start a whole community because our church is going to take over the world and we'll get incorporated as like Synergy Georgia and it's just going to be awesome. But I have spent much of two years feeling as if I've walked around the walls of a city. And to be honest, I've looked for cracks in the wall like, is anything going to happen? Is anything going to happen? January the 22nd, just a few days ago, the second birthday of our church. Synergy Church is now two years old. And I'm really, really excited. I can't believe it's, it's been that long. Um, and as I look back on the last two years, uh, and God's given me just a heart of gratitude and thanks for, for all that he's done among us. Uh, I mean, let, let's just be honest. Um, we're not like the booming metropolis of churches in town. We're not the biggest church in town. Um, we're not the smallest. I'm, I'm still a little proud of that. But we're not the biggest church in town. Um, we haven't accomplished things that I feel like God has promised me that as a church we'll accomplish. For me, this city that seems to be shut up, uh, it's a mission. And it's not a city called Jericho that we're to overtake, but it's, it's a mission that I feel God's called us to as a church, and that's to make Christ known in the lives of people far from God. That's the reality that nearly 76% of people in Barra County don't attend an evangelical church. They have no church that they belong to. Uh, these are people who are, for a large part, far from God. They don't know Jesus personally. And the, the thing that breaks my heart when I think about this community is the fact that I have received hope. I've found hope in Jesus I have, I have, I've received, but there are people in this community, a lot of people, hundreds, thousands of people in this community, they don't know Jesus. They don't know Jesus, and it seemed like, to me, like there's a wall around the reality of that happening, and that our church is to try to reach those people, to try to reach those people, to try to find a way to connect with people who aren't connected with the church, which means we don't have to look like other churches, because for whatever reason, other churches haven't reached those people either. And so everything that we do, my mind is always thinking about how can we reach somebody? How can we reach somebody? How can we reach somebody new with the gospel of Jesus, with this mission that God's put in our heart, that we can be a different church to reach different types of people, that we can be a church that isn't simply geared around offering something better than the church down the street. I don't, I don't know if you know that. There's, there's a lot of competition between churches there's a lot of people that would be proud that their music is better than another church's. And there's a lot of people that would be proud that their facility is nicer than another church's. There's a lot of people that would be proud that they have more of a certain demographic than other churches. You know the thing that's going to make me the proudest, the happiest, the, the most content and fulfilled in life? Is if we become known somehow in town to people as the church for people who wouldn't really consider church. Like, like the person at the office who, 
who works with someone who's just going through a terrible situation and they know this person needs to, to find church. They need to be in a church. And for whatever reason, they think they'll never come to my church, but hey, I've heard of this church. They're called Synergy Church and I don't know a lot about it, but I've heard that, that maybe a lot of people in your situation would really connect well there. To me, that's a win, okay? To me, that's walls coming down and that's people who are far from God finding hope in Christ because of what we do every week. That's a win, that's, when, that's, that's what we do. And I feel like so many times that we just walk in circles. And, and part of me, if I put myself in the shoes of, of the armed men that were walking around this wall, would say like on day five, like I'm going to sneak a hammer in with me. And I'm going to find a weak spot that looks weak in the wall and I'm going to start hammering away. And I'll go from the front of the line to the back of the line and I'll hammer for a, for a little while. And then tomorrow when we come back, I'm going to hit that spot again and I'm going to make something happen. Like I'm going to figure out a way for that wall to come down because, guys, we're walking in circles. Like, is anyone else concerned about this? This guy's, he's lost his mind. He says we're going to shout and it's just going to, walk, it's going to fall down. Oh, what's he smoking? Is it going to work? And so parts of me have, have had these temptations to try to figure out ways to say well we can do this but we can also get more people in the door and make us feel like we're, we're taking ground and like we can say things that will get people from other churches to think that our church is better than their church and they'll want to come and help us and if they come from their church and help us then we'll feel like we're doing something great for the kingdom because we used to have 100 people coming and now we've got 150. And the 50 that came, they came from other churches and they're already Christians and they already love Jesus, but they're at our church now. You see where I'm getting here? And the temptation is for me to say, I, I'm going to find a way to, to feel good about what we're doing while we're walking to where I feel like we're making progress and I can see some cracks in the walls and I can feel like some bricks are coming loose and once the walls come down, then we'll start focusing again on reaching people. And our mission statement from the beginning has always been to make Christ known in the lives of people far from God. And even our staff, we've had conversations lately just surrounding that statement. And just to be honest with you, a lot of people feel uncomfortable with the wording of our mission statement, to make Christ known in the lives of people far from God because some people would say, well, I'm not far from God, so your church isn't for me. And that's not what we're, what we're saying at all. But my heart would be that if you became a part of our church, you would have a heart to make Christ known in the lives of people far from God. I think that the wording that we have in that statement is so important because it constantly reminds us of why we're walking around the city. It constantly reminds us that victory isn't people coming from other churches. Victory isn't just having a bigger group of people on a Sunday morning. Victory isn't simply saying that we go to the happening church in town. But victory is when people who are lost, people who are addicted, people who are helpless and hopeless find hope in Jesus Christ because of what we do. That's victory. That's walls coming down and that's taking the land for Synergy Church. It's always been my heart.
Listen, I don't care to be like famous preacher Bronson. I, I, and to be honest with you, I will never be famous preacher Bronson. I'm not the personality type. I'm not the talented speaker that's going to travel the world and do conferences and, and be famous. Like, you don't ever have to worry about me being like bodyguard up front. You can't really come talk to me, okay? I don't think you ever have to worry about that unless you start threatening me and then I might like get my dad to start carrying a gun or something. I don't know. We'll figure something out. But you don't have to worry about that because... I don't think it's necessarily my calling to be like famous preacher Bronson who has like huge church for the sake of having huge church unless unless we can tap into reaching people who don't know Jesus. And here's the truth. Here's the truth. Here's conversations I've had. You know, there's other people at other churches that can really help us. And I agree with that. I do. I do. Listen, I know if we're going to reach people, we're going to have to have some people who love Jesus, who are mature, who know how to teach people to follow his ways, that are going to have to help mentor and train and grow these people up. But the problem is, the problem is, is people who love church and are deeply involved in the church, they don't have a ton of relationships with people who are far from God sometimes. It's just true. And, and I can just tell you, if you can find someone who's far from God and they can find hope in Jesus and they're going to go back to a family that's far from God, they're going to go back to friends who are far from God, and they're going to be able to share, my life's different because of something that's happened at this church through God, and they're going to start bringing these people. That's when we're going to start seeing walls come down. That's when we're going to start seeing exciting things happening. Listen, I'm excited about where we've been already. Do you know that to date, 100 people have made decisions for Jesus Christ in our church? That's from the very beginning up until now. Listen, that's, that's people who have either on a connection card checked a box that says, I'm committing my life to Christ, or who in one of our worship experiences has stood up publicly saying, like, I want to make that decision. I want to accept Christ. Um, that's not like us just like making up numbers. That's adults and children combined, okay? We've baptized 15 people, okay? There's a gap there. We need to baptize more people of the 100, and we need to have more people of that 100 that are involved in what we're doing, and we need to train those people more and better. There's, there's a lot of work to do, okay? So I don't, I don't say that to like, hey, we're the best church in town. There's 100 people in the last two years that have come to know Jesus here. But I'm saying I'm proud of that. And listen, you may be here, and you may love this church. You may be deeply committed to this church, and you may honestly get discouraged at times because we're not Synergy Georgia yet. We don't have our own area code. And everybody's not flocking in to here. But here's something that I get excited about. And you may not get this. I hope you get this. You may not get this. But it's my heart. It really is my heart. I get excited when someone comes through the doors of our church and they see what we have to offer, and they hear our heart as a church. And sometimes I have conversations with them. I sit down with them, and they ask questions about the church, and they choose not to come to this church. Man, sometimes I get so excited about that. And you say, well, how could you get excited about that? Because you need more people to come to your church. But here's why I get so excited. It's because when someone doesn't have a heart to reach people who are far from God, 
and they're just looking for a church that's got better music or they offer more for their students or they have a different demographic that they would feel like they would connect with more and they're looking for something for themselves and they already know Jesus but they have no intentions of doing anything to help reach anybody else. I get so excited when they choose to go and sit in someone else's seat every week because you, you guys may not know this. You may, you may not know this but sometimes church people are they're difficult. People who have been in church their whole lives, sometimes they forget why the church exists. And they have a mentality that the church owes them something. And that the church should do something better for them. And the church should do more to make their life better. But they have no heart to be part of what the church is doing. So sometimes as I'm walking around the walls and and I see, you know, someone say, it's, it's just not for me. I say, yeah, you get it, you get it. It's not for everybody. It's not, it's not for, our church isn't for everybody. Not everybody's going to love our music. Not everybody's going to love my style of preaching. Not everybody's going to love the way we dress. Not everybody's going to love coming to a gym on Sunday mornings that has a bunch of pipe and drape. Not everyone's going to love, like, getting up at 6 in the morning and come to set all this stuff up. Not everybody's going to love giving sacrificially so that we can progress and do more and grow as a church and buy more equipment and advertise and do things. Not everybody's going to want to do that, but a lot of people are going to want you to do stuff for them. And when the people who know Jesus, when the people who are already Christians, when the people who are already involved in churches, they, they say to me, whether they say it personally or they say it with their feet by walking out, they say, it's just not for me. There's something deep in the back that would never do it publicly but just says, thank you, Jesus, thank you, Jesus, that you're directing the steps of our church and helping us to find our way and find the people that you've called to our church that are going to help us make Christ known in the lives of people far from God. Listen, there's coming a day. I don't know when it is. I don't know, like, when lap seven is coming. I don't know when the seventh day is coming. There's coming a day we're going to walk around and the walls are going to crumble down and we're going to go in and possess a land and there's going to be people who are far from God all over the place. They're going to fall in love with Jesus because they're going to come to know that there's hope for them personally in this world. They don't have to go through life alone. That The things that they deal with, they don't have to deal with on their own. There's hope for their life. And so I would just say, as the story comes down and they end up blowing the trumpets and shouting and the walls come down they go in and possess the land and they receive the promise though there was a long period of waiting before they received the promise that I would just say that you need to find a place where church comes alive for you where you feel like you are the church where you don't feel like it's just a place where you go but you feel like I have found a group of people that I can do life with I have found a group of people that I can serve alongside. I can find a group of people who are heading in a direction that I want to walk in. I have found a pastor that I trust. I trust that he hears from God. I trust that he's leading us in a direction that sometimes doesn't always make sense, but I just trust that he's heard from God. You need to, you need to find you a church, a place where, where you can get together with a group of people and just something on the inside comes alive and you just say, man, we're just going to take the world 
And if it's not here, please, please find that church. You've got to find that church. If you haven't found that church, you've got to find that church. Because when you find that church, something on the inside of you helps you understand, man, I am the church. And what I have to offer is important. And what I have within my ability and, and talents and skill set and mindset has huge potential to change someone else's life the way my life's been changed. And when you find that church... And jump in and just get involved. And I would just say, please just walk. Be part of the walking. Like, don't set up a tailgate section at the, at the beginning. And as people take off walking, be like, hey guys, have a good walk today, man. You guys are going to walk. Great, it's going to be awesome. When you get back, I'm going to have some drinks for you. I'll have some lemonade. I'm going to have some snacks. And you guys just do good. Don't set up the tailgate section. Like, don't sit there and cheer people on as they walk. But walk. Find you a place where you can walk. Find you some walls to walk around where you believe in a mission and you can be part of a group of people that are doing something. And the promise is that one day the walls are going to come down and you're going to possess the land. And I'm just telling you from my heart of hearts, there's going to come a day and I believe we'll know when the day is here. When the walls are going to come down and we're going to start realizing the mission of our church like never before. We're going to start saying, this is it. We've been talking about making Christ known in the lives of people for years. And look, look what's happening. Look what's happening. It's happening. It's here. It's, it's going to make a difference. If you feel like Synergy is that church, and I hope you do, I hope you all do, here's, here's what I would encourage you. We've got, we got five simple things that we encourage people to do real quickly. We encourage them to worship. Like, make church a priority to be here on Sunday mornings, but don't, don't just come, like, like, worship, engage. Allow this to be a time for you to commune with God and, like, during the music, during the message, before and after, forming relationships, allow the whole experience to be a time for you to worship. But don't worship alone. Invite. That's number two. Invite someone. And I know, that, I know that you know people at other churches and, and if they come, if they're not connected there, if they're just sitting there not doing anything and they will do something, we'd love to have them. But who in your life is far from God? Who in your life is hopeless? Who in your life needs Christ? And invite them and bring them and allow them to experience something that we believe can change their life. But don't just, don't just worship, but don't just invite, but you know, I pray that you'll find a place where you can serve where you can use the gifts and talents God's given you to make a difference in the lives of others. And you can serve. You can, you can do something. You cannot be part of the tailgate crew that's cheering on the people walking around the walls, but you can start walking with people. You can do something. It's not like a lifetime commitment. I'm not saying all of you have to be here at 6 o'clock every Sunday morning. Some of you might stand in a parking lot once a month and welcome people to our church. Some of you might open a door for somebody every other week and welcome people to our church. Some of you might want to come at six o'clock in the morning and help once a month, every other week. Some of you, who knows, you might want to come every week. Some of you may want to change diapers. Some of you may want to lead a small group for kids. Some of you, whatever it looks like, but just get involved and find something on the back of your connection card or some opportunities for you to volunteer. If you can just check any of those, we'd love to give you opportunity information to, to make that possible. So you worship, you invite, you serve, and then you connect. You connect. This is huge. Next Sunday, 
right here at 4.30. We're having an event called Group Launch. And Group Launch is an opportunity for you to get connected in a small group. Hear the heart of small groups at our church, how they work, and get connected in a small group. Listen, you can come to group launch and just say it's not for me and walk out and no one's going to make you feel bad. But it's your opportunity to get connected and experience life together with other people and the impact that it can have on your life. And the, and the good news is, well, some of you, the bad news, you say, well, that's the night of the Super Bowl. And the good news is we're going to have Super Bowl on the big screen after group launch and we're going to have games for kids and teens and we're going to have food. And we just invite you to come and hang out with your small group, watch the game, whatever. You don't have to stay for the whole thing. If you've got plans, you can leave and go to the game somewhere else. But group launch is a great opportunity for you to get connected. And then fifthly is you give. You give. Financially, we talked about being money fit last week, but you make giving a priority in your life. And if we can have a group of people doing those five things, walking around the wall, then there's going to come a day the walls are going to come down and we're going to experience our mission coming to life. And so I would just say to all of us, happy birthday, Synergy. The best is still to come. We have a lot of walking to do. But there's a huge promise that God's given us, and we're going to experience so much at this church. And I'm just saying being part of the journey is much more significant than experiencing the blessings that someone else has paid. Be part of the journey. Pay a price for someone else to experience, but don't be someone who waits until something has happened for you to come in and experience that blessing. Be part of the journey. Being church fit is realizing it's not a place I go. It's not, it's not something I do. It's who I am. I am the church. And what group of people am I going to partner with in being the church? Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for who you are and for what you do for us. I pray in your name that you would inspire us to do great things for you, to stay focused on walking around the walls, that we would faithfully, even when we don't see progress and even when we don't experience the blessings that we dream about, stay focused on the mission of our church that you've called us to. That's to make Christ known in the lives of people far from God. And for that, we give you thanks. We ask your blessings and your favor on this church and everyone in this church. And we pray that you would speak to our hearts on how we can be the church in our everyday lives, and specifically here at Synergy. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.